Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 120. This is the first episode I've posted after the coronavirus has canceled, well, everything. Life here in the United States and around the world is not the same. Our health is at risk, our way of life is at risk, and things are changing every day. So please stay informed, use good judgment, and care for one another so we can get our way of life back as quickly as possible. Because of the seriousness of the pandemic, everything in the golf world is on hold. Yes, golf seems rather pointless right now considering everything that's going on, but I'm going to keep putting out episodes. We're going to share some stories around the game of golf, and hopefully we can start looking forward to amateur and professional tournaments being contested this summer. So our last episode featured Abel Gallegos, the Latin America amateur champion, 17-year-old kid from Argentina that captured the title at Mayacoba, all excited to get to the Masters to represent his family, and his country. And obviously the Masters has been postponed and it doesn't appear that it will take place before the fall. Just so you know, I still want to bring you all of these episodes. These six amateurs achieved something incredible. They qualified for the Masters and I want to share their stories. Some of the episodes are already recorded, some aren't, but I'm going to try and release them all regardless of when the Masters will eventually take place. Also, with collegiate sports being canceled, that means no national championship for golf. I had planned on bringing you a series of interviews with players and coaches that were to be competing at Greyhawk in Arizona. In fact, I was actually going to be at Greyhawk for the entire week, witnessing my first NCAA national championship. I've already interviewed some players and coaches that were going to be part of this series. I'm going to release those episodes also. We're going to make the most out of it. I want to get their stories out there. I want to share them with you. So I'm going to keep reaching out to all of these collegiate players and coaches that were going to be at the national championship, and I'll see what type of episodes I can produce for you. Before we get to this week's episode, just a little production note. I'm going to share with you, the listener, when each interview was recorded. With the coronavirus a very harsh reality right now, I'm sure that topic will work itself into our conversations in the future since everything is changing so rapidly, I think it's important to kind of protect myself and the guests so that if we talk about the coronavirus during an episode, you'll know exactly when we had that discussion. Don't forget, still on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, every previous episode. This is a perfect time to catch up on all 119 of the other episodes that I've released. All that information is available at thebackoftherange.com. So on to this week's episode, our guest this week is Colt Nost. Colt just recently retired from the PGA Tour after competing in 199 PGA Tour events. He won twice on the Corn Ferry Tour, but never had that PGA Tour win. He had an excellent amateur career, All-American at SMU, won the U.S. Amateur Public Links and the U.S. Amateur championship in 2007 and was part of probably the greatest Walker Cup team in history. That team in 2007 included Dustin Johnson, Webb Simpson, and Ricky Fowler. We definitely spoke about the Walker Cup during this interview. Now that Colt is off the tour, what is he doing to keep himself busy? Well, quite a bit. 
He's uh, he's co-hosting two shows with Drew Stoltz. One is Gravy and the Sleaze on Sirius XM, and the other one is a podcast called Subpar, presented by Golf.com. Now, is that going to cut in his time at Whisper Rock playing money games? Probably. But he's also going to take a shot at TV work with CBS. I think he's set up for seven tournaments. Obviously, everything is up in the air right now. But yeah, Colt is moving into the golf media space full steam ahead. So the full conversation that I had with Colt took place on Tuesday, March 10th, right before everything got shut down on the 12th and the 13th. So I thought I would actually grab Colt for a quick chat this past Sunday night just to see how he's going to keep himself busy during this sports shutdown. So this is the Sunday conversation that I had with Colt. And then we're just going to transition right into the full interview. Yes, I know that was wordy and convoluted, but I'm doing my best with what I got to work with. So let's just catch up with Colt right now. Colt, you and I spoke on, let's see, we spoke on Tuesday, March 10th. And while the coronavirus was was a thing then, I don't want to discount that, it was, that things were getting a little bit uh, serious at that point. Everything pretty much changed on the 12th to the where... Um, you know, NBA and the PGA Tour and Major League Baseball, just about everything has halted and shut down. And uh, we're just now, I mean, this is basically Sunday night when we should be talking about a player's champion and there's no golf for the foreseeable future. Um, what do we do? I'm coming to you for assistance. What do we do, Colt? Yeah, man, I'm in, I'm be honest, I'm in a, in a little bit of a panic right now. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, this is obviously a very serious situation. Yeah. Just for me, like, like just i mean there's obviously the health is the number one thing but like i'm such a sports junkie like all i watch is sports it's so weird not having anything on tv right now it's kind of a problem it, i really don't know what to do yeah and and i mean i like how golf channel is doing the reruns of the arnie uh series and the jack series and the tiger series but shit i've seen those like a half a dozen times already and uh, yeah i don't know how much that's helping now you're you just retired you're not playing professionally anymore but you know you have your podcast with uh, with Drew Stoltz. You have your radio sh- radio show on Sirius XM. Have you guys really thought about what you're going to be talking about? So, the podcast is great because I mean we can just bring in guests, yeah, film it, do that, and it's awesome. The radio show, like we haven't been on since all this happened, so we're on tomorrow, uh, Monday, and I kind of honestly thought they were going to tell us we're not going to be working right because there's nothing there's no golf being played there's nothing to talk about and he said um you know the guy that runs our channel taylor zarzer said no we're gonna stay business on schedule and everything and i'm like oh boy <laughs> what the hell are we gonna talk about <laughs> yeah every day? yeah i mean seriously, like tomorrow obviously we can talk about everything that's happened this week but then after that i'm like i, I have no idea i mean we're just he's like just tell stories i'm like okay well i'm gonna run out at some point <laughs> well i mean I, I mean i guess you talk about you know how do you deal with the off season? How do you deal with maybe yeah. what do you do during an injury? But you're right for the podcast, you know, cause I've been thinking about that myself. You know, what I do here is mainly tell stories and it's all evergreen content. So, you know, like you, you've done your interviews with Woodland and you've done your interviews with, um, um, Kira deck of and, and you've had these great episodes where they're telling stories of the past. So you can dip into the coronavirus a little bit, but then you could really kind of tell some stories, but yeah, I, I don't know what you do just, because even Golf Channel seems like they're shut down too. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be an interesting deal. I mean, we're we'll probably be talking about a lot of other things than golf, I'd imagine. But um, you know, it's to be honest, it just it sucks. This, yeah. I can't. I mean, I, I I don't even know what to do. I don't. It's just it's so crazy because 
no one knows. No one knows what the hell's going on right now. Yeah. And um, and everything and, yeah, and, and it changes so quickly too. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, and I read today where like the NBA, they're thinking middle of June is when they're coming back, and that's with no fans still in June. I'm just like, oh boy. And like, I mean, once again, selfishly for me, like I was supposed to start with CBS and Golf Channel. Um, you know, the the end of April at New Orleans, and doesn't look like I don't know if those golf tournaments are going to happen now. So, um. It sucks, man. I I don't like it. If they if they shut the if they shut Whisper Rock down, I'm gonna have a serious problem. Well, I'll have absolutely nothing to do. <laughs> well, I'll be I I, you know, I just I went and played nine holes with some friends down here in South Florida, and and it still felt like weird because you know you're wiping down steering wheels and stuff, and just that's what everyone's yeah. doing, and and I wasn't really locked in. It was just kind of hitting it around, and you know, my friends were like, uh, "Well, we'll have plenty of time to practice and hit balls." I'm like, "I don't know if your golf course is going to be open," and they yeah. and they just were kind of looking at me like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "You do understand that there are staffing needs of these golf courses. They don't just show up and looking like this every morning at 7 a.m." Yeah, no, you're exactly. Right. I read today where um, a bunch of the golf courses in Austin, Texas, are closed, which. I think is a little bit of a overreaction, but that's just me, the golfer, I guess, <laughs> wanting to be always be able to play golf. But oh, I'd, um, I'd, I'd love for them to be open too. I just, uh, I don't know. You just gotta have to think back. You know, each, you know, the final product, a a perfect golf course to play. Well, how does it get that way? Well, you know, you have staffing to to take care of the grounds and then you have the guys in the shop and then you have the uh, and then you just go down the line you're like okay well those people have kids and those people have things you know so it's just it's it's hard of course i mean i've this is like i think it's awesome what the nba guys are doing a lot of them you know um donating money to the, the people that work at the arenas and stuff like that because i mean these people are out of jobs and that's that's why i feel bad i don't i don't feel as bad for like the pga tour players yeah i do like the caddies oh uh, yeah you know I mean? oh yeah Who, I mean, I, I know some of the players will take care of their guys, but I mean, there's some out there that probably won't and probably can't, they can't afford it. But, um, I mean, they have no job now and it's, and they don't know when they're going to have a job again. So it's, they're in a, it's a stressful situation for them. I feel really bad. Yeah. I, um, I think about that. I think about, um, gosh, I think about all the charities that just get that get helped out every, at every single tour stop. And, for sure. Um, all those things like that. Uh, well, I will definitely kind of uh, we'll we'll be listening to your show and and your podcast and and see what you'll be up to for over the next few weeks. And um, gosh, yeah. I, I, well, see, I I was going to be coming out to uh, to Scottsdale for the NCAA's that got canceled. So I know I live right next to Greyhawk. That's oh man, I'm devastated yeah. about that. Yeah. Times are tough. Yeah, that's for sure. So. Uh, but hopefully, you know, we get we get through it quickly and. Uh, life can get back to, to norm, somewhat normal again. All right, so that was Colt and I catching up uh, just this past Sunday night. Um, here is the full episode that we recorded on Tuesday, March 10th. So let me welcome in Colt the way I've welcomed in every single guest. Colt, you're at the back of the range. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Ben. Absolutely. Well, we got a lot to get to, whether it's PGA Tour or what you're doing now that you are a, a retired, you're a retiree now. But uh, I, I can't skip past one of the uh, one of the things I saw on your playing resume, all the way back in 2005, Dixie Amateur Champion in my hometown mm. tournament. Because I'm a I'm a Coral Springs, Florida guy. Um, I know that year it was at Palm Air. That was the site of one of the best jobs I ever had as a as a kid. I I was a ranger, which, as I'm sure you know, means nothing on a golf course. You literally just drive around and make sure no one's, you know, stealing flag sticks. But 
Um, before we talk about the fun job you have now and the best job you ever had in golf, playing on the PGA Tour, what is one of the earliest jobs you had on a golf course? Oh, I actually never really worked at the golf course, to be honest. Okay. Um, uh, I started golf late when I was like 13. And just my friends played, and I kind of got into it and started hitting balls, going to the driving range, and just fell in love with it. I remember, like, uh, kind of in high school, my mom and my stepdad were members at a place called Lake Kiowa Country Club, which is like this retirement community um, up, like, almost to Oklahoma. Okay. It was so far. And I would, like, hang out in the pro shop all day, every day when I wasn't out practicing. And I, I would I would watch the counter and stuff occasionally, but that was that was about it. I never really... Other than playing golf for a living, I think the only other job I had was uh, working at a car wash one summer. Working at a car wash. Yeah, that made me realize I really need to get out and practice golf. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I did not enjoy that. So uh, never, all right, so never worked necessarily at the golf course, but obviously put a lot of work in to get yourself, um, you know, to play at SMU, to play on the PGA Tour and all the great things you got to do. Um you know, played a lot of golf at Pilot Point High School, and then I know you're talking a lot about how you know, money games are on are prevalent on tour, and was definitely a key to your success. But maybe, you know, without getting into too much detail, but tell me about some of the early money games you played, whether in high school or or college. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think I think the word on how much you played Phil, Phil Mickelson for has kind of been that story's been told. But give me one of the early money games that kind of got your attention. Oh man, I mean, I I remember from the time I got. I got pretty good at golf within two years where I was able to, you know, shoot around par, break par. And I think from the time I was 16 years old until, I mean, current day, I mean, all I've, I've loved gambling on the golf course. Sure. I don't like, I don't like, I don't like playing unless there's something on the line. I just don't focus and it's not, it's not that fun for me, but I remember going back to Lake Kiowa country club. I mean, I'd play with the head pro and we'd have like three groups and I mean, I could be 16 years old and would take the wheel and play every which combination. And it was $5 a hole and everything. But I mean, at 16, I mean, if I had 10 bets going, you know, I got 50 bucks a hole going on here and there. I mean, it got pretty good. Uh, you know, that's when winning, you know, a couple hundred bucks a day was, was huge for me as a 16 year old. I thought I was the richest man in the world, but I mean, I, I really believe that's how I learned how to play under pressure. Uh, I mean, playing for my own money when I didn't have that much. I mean, if I got hurt really bad, it was, I was going to have to crawl home to mom and ask for some money so I could pay my debts, which luckily did not happen very often. I always seem to somehow come out on top, um, but it was always playing with, with guys that were much older than me, probably honestly much better than me, but I just, I learned how to deal with the pressure and, and it just kind of kept going and the stakes kept getting higher and at every level of golf I went to. And I mean, still to this day, I do media stuff Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I go to Whisperock Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and play money games. <laughs> that's a, that's not a bad way to go. Now, do you shut out the? I mean, do you keep track of the whole of the, all the games that are going on? Do you shut that out of your mind, or you just know all the numbers? You know about this junk, and you know with this guy over here and this guy over there, or do you just shut out and just go play? No, I'm a guy that keeps all the action, and everyone lets me keep the action because I can. I'm pretty good with numbers, and I, I can. Pay attention. I can tell you every single shot every guy hit throughout the course of the day, so I know what's going on. Okay. So I keep all the, I keep all the action, so I know where I'm at at all times. Uh, but it's so much fun. I just I love getting out there trash talking, and I mean we play for a good amount of money, but it's nothing that if you if you lose, like your life's not going to change. Yeah. If you win, your life's not going to change. It's 
it's just enough to get the blood flowing, get the heart pumping a little bit, and I love it. Whatever makes you uncomfortable, right? Exactly. So you you play in high school. You you as you said, you started a little bit later. Um, went to SMU. All time leader in wins at SMU was seven, and actually one of four U.S. Amateur champions from that school. And boy, it was it was you know Kraft, Keeney, and Nost, and then you know DeChambeau just ruined up the uh, the whole uh, you know lineage of, of of K's that win the USAM. Give me just your elevator pitch on on DeChambeau because what people see of him on TV just you know I I can see how it probably runs through the wrong way or rubs people the wrong way, but then also I'd imagine that people that know him personally said, yeah, just awesome guy, and and you're not seeing the full uh, the full scope of the guy. He is, and you know I mean I knew him when he played golf at college. Uh, Josh Gregory, who was the coach at SMU at the time, would invite me out to play with the team every once in a while when I was living in Dallas, and. I mean, honestly, I really appreciate Josh including me because that's one thing I have always believed in growing up is surround yourself with guys that are better than you. When I first went to Dallas, I was at SMU. I, I worked with Randy Smith at Royal Oaks Country Club, and I would follow Justin Leonard and Harrison Fraser everywhere they went when they were there and just try to learn something. And so it was great for me to go out and try to help these kids as much as I could. And Josh would always put me with Bryson. He was their best player. And and I was fascinated with Bryson just because of the way he goes about the game and how different it is with his golf clubs and everything. And he's a smart, smart guy, obviously. I would say the people that watch him on TV, they don't get the real Bryson. Like Bryson is a super nice guy. And like, even to this day, when I see him now that I'm not playing at tournaments, he's so interested in what's going on with me. Uh, ask what's going on. What's happening. Can he come on the show? Can he, can he do this? Anything he can do to help. And even when I was playing, it was always like, Hey, how's your hand? You know, this. he's a very caring guy and he's very interesting. Now, I don't agree with everything he does on the golf course, sure. <laughs> but uh, he's a super nice guy and an unbelievable talent. And what he has done now changing his body is unbelievable. I mean, I was kind of um, against it at first because when you when you put that much weight on or if a big guy loses that much weight, I mean, it's, your body kind of doesn't really know how to react and it's it's tough to to play golf the level you want to and when he first came out this year he struggled and now he's starting to figure things out a little bit and i tell you what the shot he hit on 18 at bay hill out of the rough was one of the best shots i've ever seen like for him to even try to take that on was crazy to me and i would say last year he could not do that i mean i'm i'm fascinated with him too i just wonder at times does he have the self-awareness to realize that he's gonna get lit up on twitter or or the fans are gonna give him a hard time is he kind of aware of some of the i mean maybe in his mind they're not bonehead things but i'm sure they kind of come across to people that way does he even give a shit about that i don't think he does yeah i think bryson is in his own world which is one reason why i think he rubs people the wrong way he's kind of he could come off as selfish a little bit. Right. And I mean, he's like, look, I'm doing what I need to do to play this game to the best of my ability and, you know, make a living for myself. And first, I mean, Michael Jordan didn't rub everybody the right, the right way. And he was the greatest ever. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's not, everyone's going to like you. I don't care who you are. It's just, it's just that way. But, um, he's a special talent, man. And it's, it's cool to watch. I mean, like I saw a deal on Twitter from Nick Faldo where, Bryson got his ball speed up over 200 miles an hour. Like, that's just absurd to me. Like, and, but what's scary is that's what the future of the game, that's what's going to, that's what's going to happen soon. All these kids growing up, it's going to, it's just a bomber's game. They're going to carry it 340 yards. And I don't know what in the hell they're going to do with these golf courses. If that's, if that's the norm, 
nowadays. Well, we're we're definitely going to get into that. I, I hate to gloss over your amateur career. I mean, for people that aren't aware, I mean, uh, you know, two-time USGA champion, won the USAM at Olympic, uh, and, and then right after you won the USAM Pub Links, um, brings onto the Walker Cup team in 2007. You know, arguably one of the best teams ever assembled. I know you've said in the past it's one of the greatest accomplishments of your career. You know, for people listening that may not be aware who was on that team in 2007, I mean, you're one of them. You have Trip Keeney, the mid-am, who who won who went on to win the U.S. mid-am. He was runner-up to Tiger at uh, at the one of the the U.S. amateur at Sawgrass, and then you got Fowler and Horschel and DJ and Webb Simpson, Kirk. Jonathan Moore, Lovemark, Kyle Stanley. I mean, you have this incredible team. You partnered with Dustin Johnson for two foursome sessions. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know that he hits it a mile, and uh, but I'm sure he must have put you in, in one or two bad spots in that Walker Cup. Um, go ahead and throw him under the bus just a little bit. Well, and I should because he threw me under the bus during the Open Championship last year on uh, on Golf Central. So it was interesting how the pairing even happened. We were doing some Walker cup practice squads and the, the first eight guys were picked and we went to caves Valley and buddy Marucci just randomly put me and Dustin together and we just dusted everybody for two straight days. Okay. And he's like, he's like, okay, well that's a team. We don't have to worry about that. Like that, that, that works for some reason that works. I mean, Colt hits it short and straight. Dustin hits it a mile and they work. We get along great and all this, but uh, I mean, man, it's, it's so fun playing with him and, and I said it all along. I was like, if this kid ever learns how to, to wedge the golf ball at an elite level, he's going to be a superstar. And, I mean, look where he's at now. He's got 20 PGA Tour wins. Absolutely incredible career. But I will say, he threw me under the bus at the Open Championship when it was in Ireland last year because that's where we played our Walker Cup was in Ireland, yeah, in county, Northern Ireland. Yeah, county down. Yeah. So we were, we were one up on the last hole against Roy McIlroy and Jonathan Caldwell, who was from Ireland as well. We were the first match out. This was the first match of the Walker Cup. I mean, 25,000 people were allowed on the grounds. I think 20,000 people were following us. It was nuts. I mean, Rory's the guy over there. I was the number one am in the world at the time. Uh, and we go out there, and we're one up with one to play, and 18 at Royal County Down. It's a par five. And I hit, I, I'm teeing off, and I hit a good one for me. He has 235 yards to the front of the green. The pins in the back of the green. And they were forced uh, to lay up, and they laid it up in a, in a fairway bunker, and they were dead. And Dustin's like, I thought I'm going to lay up. And I'm like, what do you mean you're going to lay up? Like, just send it up there. Two thirties of five iron for you. Yeah. He's like, no, I think, I think I should lay up. He's, he's in trouble. And I'm like, okay, I totally am against this. Like, I think you should send it like anywhere short of the green. We're making par at worst. They're not going to make birdie. And we win this match. He's like, I want to lay up. So he lays it up. We lays it up in the Heather, tall Heather grass. So I got to whack this sandwich out. It just goes over the back of the green, which over the back of the green, there's dead. So they whack it out. Rory hits it, or Jonathan Caldwell hits it like 15 feet. And Dustin hits this chip that is going 100 miles an hour, drills the pin, and goes to six feet. Well, Dustin tells everybody it's two feet, which is a total lie. It's six feet. Okay. Well, Rory, Rory proceeds to make this 15, 20-footer for par. Then I lip it out, make bogey. We have the match. And I have never been so mad in my life. Like I was like, we just laid up from 235. So I'm throwing him under the bus and saying this was his fault, even though he blamed me on national television for missing the putt. But never in my life did I think I would see Dustin Johnson lay up from 235. Yeah, that does not sound like uh, that doesn't sound like the smartest thing in the world to do, which is surprising. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't expect that. So, um, yeah. So, but now, let me, all right, so let me ask you about this team. You know, everyone just, uh, you know, builds up this team as the grace ever assembled. But 
I think that's largely due because of what you've accomplished, what what this team has accomplished since. I mean, you have guys that have won, you know, Ricky's the superstar. You have major championship winners, multiple PGA Tour wins, you know, multiple PGA Tour members. But at the time, you're just 22-year-olds other than, you know, Ricky yeah. and Love Mark. I mean, are, do you guys have any sense of that? Or are you just basically just college kids in the U.K. saying, hey, let's just have some fun here and, you know, where's the party? Well, here's the deal. Like, we knew going in, it had been so long since a, an American team had won over there in the Walker Cup. I mean, I remember, I believe it was David, who was either, I don't think he was president of the USJ, I think Walter Driver was, but he was very high up Jay. He's like, look, he goes, y'all, y'all win this, you can have anything you want. And I'm like, all right, sounds great. And so we knew we had a good chance going over there. Our team was stacked. Uh, we didn't know, like, looking looking ahead right. like would be one of the greatest teams ever no you can't you don't know that we knew we had a good team so david Fagg came to me before and he's like look we haven't won over here in so long if y'all win this you can have anything you want and so my big deal was he's a big duke supporter and i was like i've never been to a duke basketball game cameron indoor i always want to go to duke north carolina he goes you win this you got it wow so by the way i still haven't collected on that yet okay. but i'm going to um so we go over there and we knew we were, our team was good we didn't know how good we were going to be looking back now, but we knew we were very, very good. And we had a chance to beat these guys over there. And to be honest, we got pretty lucky uh, with the weather over there. It blew 10 miles an hour Saturday and Sunday during the matches. I mean, for guys that aren't used to playing Lynx golf, if it's Lynx weather where it's raining and blowing 40, we probably would have had a little bit of a trouble, a little bit of a hard time, but uh, still the coolest experience I've ever been a part of that team. I mean, everyone on that team just loved each other. We still talk about it to this day, how much fun it was. And, uh, something I definitely will never forget, and it was an honor to be a part of. That's for sure. Who uh, who handled the nerves the worst? If you had to pick a guy in your team that always seemed to be in the morning, looking a little bit pale, uh, just kind of jittery, who seemed to be the guy that that age? Now, you know, I don't think this is throwing anyone under the bus. It's just you know, no. young kids. Like who who do you think was barely holding their breakfast down every morning? I wouldn't say it was ner- nerves as much as excitement like billy horschel was a freaking oh, spaz over oh, there yeah, of course i mean it was like he i mean you could ask roy mcelroy i think roy absolutely hated billy at the time oh yeah <laughs> i mean no that's pretty well known those two had yeah a little thing yeah yeah i mean billy was going nuts over there he was so into it and billy's just an intense fiery guy yeah i mean if he ever makes the Ryder cup team you'll probably see the same thing to be honest uh he's one of those guys you want him on your team you never want to have to play against him um but he shows a lot of emotion and he rubbed some people the wrong way over there, but I mean, look, that's what you need. I mean, look at Ian Poulter for the European Ryder Cup team. Yeah, that's uh, you got to have that fiery guy, and Billy was that guy for us. Who, um, other than yourself, who did you see as the one of the guys that was just going to run right out on the out on the PGA Tour and just start winning majors? Oh, Dustin was hands down. Dustin, I mean, okay, and it and it wasn't even me. I mean, I just had an incredible summer that I played played so well. Um, I had no idea if my game would translate to the PGA Tour. I thought I'd make the PGA Tour. I didn't know. I mean, at the time, I thought I'd have a very successful career. Uh, but Dustin was just so talented. It was a joke. And Jamie Lovemark was kind of the same way. I, I feel like if Jamie Lovemark could have stayed from, away from the injuries, he would have a massive career right now. Yeah. Well, you make it onto the PGA Tour. You play uh, some seasons on the web. And a lot of these guys, you know, in 2011, you made it through on the number uh, at final stage of Q school and then 2012, that's the final year that Q school could take you to the PGA tour that obviously they changed that rule, but 
you know, these young guys that are playing all these developmental tours right now, the, either the Latin America or the McKenzie, they are never going to know the feeling of what it's like to go from, you know, relatively zero status to PGA Tour. You know, you got the you got your money games with Phil, you got the Walker Cup, but is there anything more nerve-wracking than Q School? Every time I went through Q School, I never played very good. So it never really got to me, like, the nerves of Q School until, like you said, 2011. Uh, I was a couple inside the number going in the last day. The sixth round, which, by the way, whoever made Q School made it six rounds is yeah. the biggest jerk jerk in the world. Uh, I mean, it's just torture. But uh, I remember I was two inside the number, and I couldn't sleep that night. Uh, I hated the first tee shot at the Nicholas course. There's this tree in my way, and the wind was off the left. I just I thought about it all night. I hated this tee shot. So I, I slept terrible. And then uh, I woke up, went out to the golf course, played really, really solid. I think I was two under par going to the last. Had no idea where I stood. I just knew I had to have been comfortably inside. I mean, I was under par. I was cruising along fine. I drive it as good as anybody in the world. Uh, hadn't missed a fairway all day. Come to 18, and there's water down the right. And I'm perfectly fine, not nervous at all. And I hit the worst tee shot I've arguably ever hit in my life. <laughs> this 50-yard block that goes in the middle of the pond, which, I mean, I still go back to that golf course every once in a while when I was playing the American Express out in Palm Springs, and like, I'm just like, how in the hell did I hit it in the water here? just blows my mind. And we're walking towards the water, and I asked my caddy, Shorty, I said, uh, where do we stand? He goes, you got to make bogey to get your card. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That's probably something I should have asked before I teed <laughs> off, because I would have just blown it in the left rough. and sure. It dropped so far back. I mean, I'm freaking out now. And I hit a really good five-wood to get it within 50 yards of the front of the green like up in this neck and I pitched it to about 10 feet and I lift out the putt and I thought my life was over right, right there. Cause I just make double bogey and I go, I hold it together. I go to the scoring tent and I just, I lose it in the scoring tent. Like I'm balling. I'm like, I can't believe it. I just, because the difference in playing on the corn Ferry tour, and the PGA tour is such a big difference. It's not even funny. I mean, it's 10 times the amount of money and all this. I mean, it's just everything. It's, it's the corn Ferry tour is a great tour, but it's not where anybody wants to be. Yeah. And, I'm sitting there and I can't remember who the rules official was. If it was Montana or who it was, he's like, Hey, you're fine. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm fine. I'm T27. And he's like, well, there's two guys ahead of you. that already have their tour card. They don't count. So you're T25. So you're safe. I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Did yeah. You, so you, it was, did you kiss, did you kiss that guy in the mouth or no? You don't, it was you don't answer that. Mark so. Anderson and Roberto Castro. And I walked inside and they were sitting there and I said, your tabs are on me. I'll mm -hmm. buy you all the beers you want. Thank y'all so much. And then I go on and have a really nice 2012, you know, I, yeah. I keep my card, I think for the first time and um, was kind of off and running there. But that was, that was unbelievable for me. I, I honestly, when I was in the scoring tent, I said, I'm not playing golf anymore. Wow. I don't, I don't want to go back to that tour. And that was huge. And I, I mean, it also me making double bogey, let Nathan green, get his card and John, huh? And John, huh? Went on to win that year and made like $3 million. And I'm still waiting on a thank you note from him. <laughs> Well, Q School is crazy because I actually, when I was looking up 2011 to see uh, who else was on that list, I looked up 2012 because I wanted to make sure I knew exactly when that changed. You know, uh, Patrick Reed got in on the number in 2012. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I think it's a shame it's gone. Like, I don't agree with getting 25 spots, but if at the Corn Ferry Tour Q School, like, if they, if they gave five spots or two spots or one spot, to where if they gave one spot, it would be some of the greatest TV in the world oh, on yeah. that on that on that Monday or Sunday, whenever they finish. 
because I just always thought it was so cool. I mean, you could be, you know, uh, a kid that picks the range at a, at a local country club and then be on the PGA tour the next year. Like, I just love those stories. Yeah. I think it's so cool. And the fact that you have to go through Q school still just to get on the corn Ferry tour, if you gave one spot to whoever won the Q school, Oh my God, that'd be incredible. Well, when like when, when the big break was on golf channel, like that show, I think probably would have been a lot cooler and I know you can't do, you know, uh, flop shot challenges for PGA Tour cards, but I mean, if that had a little bit more of juice behind it, a little more of a reward, like full year membership on a tour or something like that, it would be kind of interesting. And to your point, if you really reward these guys for, you know, give them the give them the ultimate prize. The ultimate prize is getting on the PGA Tour. Totally agree. And that's I mean, my friends at home used to always say the Monday, the final round of Q School was always their favorite of golf to watch, just because you got to see guys who absolutely thrived under the pressure and then guys that threw up all over themselves. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was great TV. Yeah. I said, they're evil people for wanting this. And I, I never wanted to be the guy that was that story at Q school. And one year I was, and uh, luckily I, I got through it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to ask you some things about the PGA tour. Um, you're uh, you know, going to be joining the CBS new CBS golf team doing things, seven different, seven events this, uh, this year, I think you're doing. And I got seven. Yes, sir. Seven. And they're starting off in new Orleans, which just sounds really smart of CBS. Cause I mean, you like to have, <laughs> you like to have a good time and they, you know, you can do that pretty easily in new Orleans. So you can, I'm, uh, I'm very excited. They gave me three last year. Right. Um, and it was a huge learning experience. It's, it's way harder than I could possibly tell anyone. Like, you think you just throwing on a headset, you talk about golf. There's so much going on. It's so much more difficult than I ever could have imagined, but something that I, I love learning. I learn more and more each day at the end of my three weeks last year, I was a totally different person. I feel like than at, at the start. Um, and so I start in new Orleans this year. I do four in a row right out of the gate, new Orleans, Charlotte, uh, Byron Nelson, and then the PGA championship. And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be so much fun. I love, I mean, I've, I've transitioned to kind of in this media side, dark side, I guess. Oh, wait a minute. Come uh, from, on now. From, I, I know. I, I'm on this side too now. You're making me feel know. like shit. Hey, I mean, come on, man. I'm a part, I'm a part of it now and, it, and it's fine. I love it. Okay. Um, but it's great. You know, I, I've got my show on Sirius XM with Drew Stoltz, the gravy and the sleaze show. Yeah. Um, we have the podcast subpar, but, um, golf.com subpar, which has just been unbelievable. Uh, we've, we've done, today was our fifth episode we released. It was Wyndham Clark up and coming superstar on the PGA tour. And, and it's just, everything has been going so great. I love it. I hope the TV goes as well as I want it to. Cause that's what I really, really want to do in the future. And I just think I can bring a different perspective to this, um, to the broadcast compared to what's going on now. And, um, uh, that's why, like, I, I know they've been let go recently, but like Peter Coppice and Gary McCord, I love those guys so much. They're members at Whisper Rock. Yeah. They've been a huge help to me. And what they did on TV, I, it's so hard to explain like how easy they make it look because it's not that easy. They are very, very special and very, very talented at what they do. Well, um, I, I think it's clear when you see, and this is not a knock on um, Christy Kerr. It's not a knock on Davis Love the Third, but when you see newer uh, people come on board it just it jumps out not necessarily in a tremendously negative way it's just wow this is not as this is not as easy as it as it they, they made it look because yeah but people people don't understand that they, they hear them talking and they're like oh god they're just not good at this. No, like, no, you're absolutely right yeah yeah and that's where like i agree it probably hasn't been that great but at the same time since i have some experience i can be like okay 
listen, I know what they're going through. Right. Because the first time, the first time you talk and you have some, someone yelling in your ear about where the next shot's going to go or that you said this wrong, but yet you have to continue to talk and say what you want to say. And you have to do it. Like they want you to be entertaining, but they want you to do it in an eight second time frame. So right. it's, it's, it's hard. There's, there's so much going on. And that's why like these guys, like, I mean, now let me get this straight. Tony Romo, $17 million is crazy, crazy money, but he is so good at what he does. It's, it's unreal. I mean, he makes watching football, so enjoyable and listen i knew he was going to get a huge payday 17 million is a little, a little crazy but i'm happy for him but i that's what i want to do for the game of golf i want to make it entertaining i want to make it where the guy that doesn't know everything about golf can understand what the hell i'm talking about and enjoy listening to it and i want to show that you know there's other players out there than just rory McIlroy, brooks kepka dustin johnson justin thomas i mean there's a lot of really really good players out there that have fascinating stories yep. and i want to share that with everyone okay well then i have a few random just observations or topics and let let me get your opinion on a couple of these so i am uh you know i'm old enough to remember tiger coming on the tour in his most you know dominant years and he didn't give a shit who it was he was just wanted to beat whoever was in front of him and make them question their own abilities and now i get a sense that yeah there's maybe a couple guys that want to beat tiger but i kind of get a sense that there's guys that just want to be around tiger they don't necessarily want to beat him. It's just like, I want to be in the cool kids table so I can say that Tiger knows me and I'm friends with Tiger. Any truth to that? Am I completely wrong or am I a little bit right? No, I, I think you're a little bit right with that. Um, the only reason that is able to happen nowadays is that Tiger has changed quite right. a bit. When I first came on tour or when I first started being around the PGA Tour in 07, 08, Tiger was still in his dominant form. Not like 2000, but he was still winning majors, winning tournaments. Right. He didn't hang. He didn't hang around other players. He kept to himself. He rarely was in player family dining. He did his own thing. He went on the golf course. He won. He was gone. Um, you know, now he's kind of wants to be one of the guys. He enjoys. And I first noticed it about four years ago. I mean, he he starts talking to the younger guys. Starts being around. I mean, I remember we were at um, Tiger's tournament. The tournament's in D.C. It was at Robert Trent Jones at the time. Uh, Ricky Fowler had a had a house right by the golf course and he invited a bunch of us over for barbecue and tiger showed up and i was just like what are you doing here <laughs> yeah like, uh, i didn't even know you came to these things he's like oh yeah i'm just gonna hang out i don't even think he was playing the tournament he's like just hang out and he was so cool and that's when i first noticed. i was like all right tiger tiger's been this guy his dad had him trained to be this killer on the golf course right and i think i think that's fair to say i mean it's yeah. all all that matters is your golf and you winning you have no social life none of this and he got to that point where I think he wanted to be just one of the normal guys. He wants to go hang out. He wants to go have dinner, mess around, laugh, laugh, play money games, you know, have a good time. And I think that's why we see, you know, the guys like, like Justin Thomas and him have this incredible bond now. I mean, I stayed with uh, me and Justin. Justin has this deal in Hawaii where he gets a big two-bedroom thing at the Sony Open, and he let me stay in the other room this year. And Justin had just won um, Tournament of Champions the day before. Yeah. We're sitting on the couch watching TV and Tiger calls him and just listening to those two talk. They're like two little sorority girls going back and forth. It was, it was, <laughs> hilarious. it was, it was really funny to hear. And he hung up and I didn't know who it was at first. He hung up and I was like, who was that? He's yeah. like Tiger. And I was like, that's how y'all talk no, to each no, other. No, like, really? I, that's I, Tiger? Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, but it's, it's awesome to see. It, it, I think these young guys coming up have pushed Tiger to want to come back more. Like, I mean, he easily could have just rode off into the sunset and said, look, I'm done. I'm hurt. Yeah. Um, this isn't going to happen anymore. 
But, uh, I mean, what he did last year at Augusta was just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in sports. Yeah, and just, like, getting back to the the original point, like when I remember him, him winning the Tier Championship at Eastlake, and he comes off, and there's, like, a gaggle of PGA Tour pros look like they're waiting for his autograph or something. I was like, man, Tiger would never do that shit 20 years ago. So, Oh, um, no. I was like, that's – so that was – all right, so that's interesting. All right, so let me move on to a guy that you know very well, Jordan Spieth. Um, this is kind of a, about my feeling of just the media itself, which you're now part of. Welcome. Um, anointing these young guys a little bit too soon, where they're always – seems like the media has always been looking for the next um, the next Tiger, whether it's Jason Day or Spieth or Rory or whoever. Jordan Spieth is still only 26 years old. He can barely rent a car by himself. And this fantastic 2015 season that he had when he wins the Masters at 21, I mean, he's basically – number three or four on every list of youngest major champions. How dangerous is it for the media to anoint these guys in their mid-20s as the next big thing? Yeah, it's tough, and it's tough on the young kids because they've never had to deal with all the media scrutiny or the media praise growing up. Like, listen, Jordan Spieth was 16 years old when he played the Byron Nelson and made the cut, which was absurd, and everybody freaks out. It's great. First of all, he's 16. You have no idea if he's going to go be a superstar or if he's going to go you know, sell insurance. You right. have no idea. And what he did was unbelievable in 2015. I mean, there was nobody that played better golf than him. He could have won the Grand Slam so easily. I mean, yeah. he was right there in all in all four of them. And this is the part where I I want to be careful with what I am in the media. And listen, my job is to give my opinion of these guys. But I feel like since I'm a player and I've been there and I understand how hard it is, like Jordan Spieth is a fantastic player he's one of the superstars of the game and he's in a funk right now but if i'm him i'm getting pretty damn tired of after every round i play having to answer the same question over and over why are you not winning why are you not yep. doing this yep like look guys i'm trying as hard as i can i just don't have it right now right and it's not from a lack of work ethic it's there's not none of this and to be fair nobody knows if there's some outside distractions going on um there could be something going on at home. No one knows. Right. And that's what I, what, I, what I've always harped on with the media when I was playing. Like, guys are like, oh, my God, how do you play this bad? You choke, you do this, you do this. I mean, I remember years ago, Gary Woodland had a horrible Masters. He, he was like seven over through nine holes on Thursday, shot eight or nine over. And everybody taped him. And he just had found out that week that his wife miscarried one of their twins. Like, but people don't know that that's the stuff that happens outside the golf course. Like these people are humans too. Right. And when you have, yeah. when you have like the media beating the shit out of Spieth because he's in a funk at 26 and only has three majors and it's not as much as they would have liked. Don't be yeah, shocked. Only three majors. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, right, right. Right. Okay. Well, I want you to make sure you're picking up my sarcasm, yeah, but, um, but, course. but don't be shocked when Spieth doesn't give you the time of day in two years from now or next year, whatever it is. I mean, by the way, he uh, I think he T3'd last year in the PGA Championship, so um, he's still, he can still find uh, find the cup. But, yeah, how do you – you know, we want more out of these PGA Tour players, LPGA Tour. We want to be closer. Fans want to be closer. But if the media is beating up on them because they're not, uh, you know, they're not the next Tiger, they're not the next uh, Annika, you know, how do you find that balance? Yeah, and that's – here's the deal. And this is just my opinion. Yeah. I don't think you're ever going to see a Tiger Woods in my lifetime. Oh, I don't another think Tiger so Woods. I mean, and I don't know if you ever will. I mean, what he did for the game of golf. I mean, first off, we should all kiss his shoes because, yeah. I mean, we are so lucky. I mean, 
because of what he did. I mean, look at the amount of money we play for. That ain't that ain't because of any of that's not because of Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson. No. I mean, you could say it's a little bit Phil Mickelson, but it's all Tiger Woods. I mean, Phil Mickelson's as wealthy as he is because of Tiger Woods, and he'll he'll be the first to tell you that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he made golf cool. He makes everybody. I'll never forget when Tiger won the Tour Championship last year. I was in Nashville. And it was Sunday afternoon. There was football on on every single TV in this bar, except for two. There was golf. And when he made the putt to win on 18, the place gave it a standing ovation in the middle of football in Nashville. And I'm just like, that's how much this guy means to the game of golf. I said, if that was Phil Mickelson who tapped in, honestly, the TV probably wouldn't even have been on golf. Oh. It would have been on football. But this place went nuts. And I was like, this is all because of Tiger. And like, I got chills when this when this happened. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was it was so cool. And I mean, it's uh, like, he, like going back to what you said is that unfair to anoint these guys so fast i'm like look we want we want a superstar we want superstars to happen and you know some guys just get hot and win a golf tournament i mean look at sean McKeel. i mean no uh-huh. disrespect he, he won a major champion yeah. todd hamilton ben curtis i mean there's these, that's what i say there's so many good players out there that anyone can get hot at any moment yeah craig perks won the players championship yes, i mean did. it's uh there's a lot of really really good golfers in this in this world, and at any moment, they can take down the superstars. Yeah, that doesn't mean they're going to go be superstars themselves. They just got hot for a week. We uh, we just had uh, the the Arnold Palmer Invitational wrap up uh, this past week. I know it's Players Week, but uh, I picked up some some hot mics, or I heard on some there were some hot mics that were on, and got some of these spectators. I mean, and you're going to get the Baba Buoys and the mashed potatoes, and that's still going to be out there, and that's almost nostalgic at this point. But I'm hearing these guys yelling from VIP sections behind the greens, and you know, I, I'm going to tell you, I think they've been drinking. Um, is there anything funny about a drunken fan at a golf court at a golf tournament anymore? And I don't want to sound like the get off my lawn guy, but I mean, it can, no. can anything be done or is it just like, I mean, are we basically waiting for some drunken idiot to like run out on the fairway? Is that what it's coming to? Uh, I'll take it another way. And okay. we talk about this on our Sirius XM show, gravy and the sleaze. You like that plug there, by the way, I picked up um, on that. You're fine. Yeah. So, so these fans, listen, I love, I love playing in front of crowds. It's so cool. I love them to be boisterous. Now the Baba Booey and Ripper Magoo, that stuff's stupid. It is what it is. But people think that rope that they're standing outside of is like this wall, this force field that no one can cross. Right. And it almost it almost happened at the President's Cup with Patrick Reed's Caddy Kessler. Yeah. Like these people get to where they say personal shit out there and it's not cool. Like, I mean, stuff that never needs to be said. And they think just because they're on the other side of this rope that they can say whatever they want. And I don't know if it's a fan running, which fans have ran out under the fairway and stuff like that. Right. It's going to be a player going in there and attacking a fan. Right. And that's when it's going to be a big problem. And I get it. Golf's different. Look, booze, people start drinking eight in the morning and they don't stop until the last putt ends. So it, it happens all day. Um, I mean, I, I, I watch, you know, I watch the waste management. I know it's your hometown tournament. I know that's where you ended your career and I'm watching it. And, I'm, and I kind of say to myself, okay, once a year, it's kind of, it's kind of comical, but then I look at it more and more. I'm like, you know, there's going to be a problem at this tournament or something, you know, other tournaments are looking at this and saying, Hey, uh, they're making a lot of money out there. They're getting all the fans in. Let's steal a little bit of that juice and put it into our tournament. And, I don't know. I just look at it. I again. I don't want to sound like old guy, but I'm just like, where where do we go here? I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a sporting event that's different than professional wrestling. No, and it is one. It's one week a year at the Waste Management. Right. It's uh, it's totally different, but it, and it's fun. But guys, still out there, they do cross the line. I mean, I was over my tee shot on 18 this year, and this guy 
I'm literally about to take it back. And he goes, if you don't top 10, your career's over. Jesus. Like, like, are you like, serious? You, yeah. Like, why do you got to go there? Like, I don't come down to your work and mess with you. Like, it's not cool. I just don't think these people understand, like, this is our job and this is how we make money. Yeah. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. You want to mess me up and cost me a shot that cost me six figures? I'm going to come down to your office when you're in the middle of your biggest reporting season and hit delete on your computer. And then you start over and see how that feels. Like, it's not, it's not cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, like I don't want the crowds to be involved. I love it. Like with the coronavirus going around, there's all this talk of maybe playing sporting events without fans, and that would just suck. Yeah, because like I said this on our show earlier today. I said you go into 16 uh, at TPC Scottsdale for the waste management, and it's the week before the crowd, the, the stadium's empty. You walk in there, you have 155, you hit your eight or nine iron, and you just buy your business. You don't feel anything. Right. You walk in there Thursday afternoon when when the place is absolutely full. And your body feels different and it's cool, yeah. but it's just, it is, it's totally different. And the, and the crowd's a big part of that. The same thing at Sawgrass this week, Tuesday, there's, you know, a couple thousand people out there. They don't feel anything. You hit in the water. You don't really care. The, I mean, I went through there in the third to last group Sunday in 2016, the play, there's 20,000 people around that place and you can't feel your body. Yep. Like it's, it's insane, but that's what makes it fun. But I just wish the crowd would respect. You can't get personal. Right. I'm all for the cheering. You can boo me if I hit a bad shot. That's fine. But do not interrupt me while I'm trying to hit a shot and do not get personal because that's not cool. You're talking about distance. Um, you know, gosh, that distance report came out and everyone's got their own opinion. Um, I, I think one thing that maybe people don't realize is that, yeah, it's rolling the ball back or, or uh, you know, don't touch it or we need to you know expand the size of golf courses. But was it a common occurrence for you to see rookies come out on the PGA tour or on the web that you knew you're an all around better player than they are, but because they've hacked the game, so to speak, where shot making and consistency is no longer important. You kind of knew that this guy's going to get further than me in this game just because he can just bomb it. And he's, he's playing a different game and it's getting rewarded differently in the PGA tour. Yeah. And it's frustrating. I mean, even from when I was, a rookie on tour in 2009 to now, like the game has changed so much. Um, and it's frustrating because there's guys like, like Jim Furyk, who, I mean, is one of my heroes. I mean, the amount of money he's made playing this game and the fact that he's still relevant is unreal. It shows you how good he is. Yeah. Uh, Zach Johnson. I mean, Justin Leonard was one of the guys I looked up to growing up, but those guys, you won't see any guys coming out of college that play golf the way I do, the way Justin Leonard, Jim Furyk do. That's, they just don't exist. I think guys that don't hit it far don't even attempt to try to really play the game anymore or try to go to the next level. And that's that's what's frustrating is, like, you should be rewarded for hitting the golf ball straight or for being able to work the golf ball. Like, straight should never hurt you. But yeah. nowadays, hitting it crooked never hurts you unless you hit it really, really crooked. And that's why I loved watching last week at the Arnold Palmer so much is there was actual rough. And four, I mean, it was windy and the greens were four under par, won the golf tournament, and it made you actually hit fairways and think a little bit. Like Bryson doing what he, he's doing, hitting the 200-mile-an-hour ball speed is great, but he should have to hit it straight to get rewarded. Yeah. You shouldn't just be able to bomb it down there and hit it 50 yards into the rough and then be fine. Like that's that's not – I mean, that's awesome that he can do that, but that's not really skill. Well, the thing I was actually going to ask you about is, like, because we become so focused on the numbers and launch angles and spin rates and getting all this massive distance, is it pretty much possible that just today's players just 
really they just can't they're not equipped to handle difficult golf courses i i think a lot of guys aren't to be perfectly honest it's they have the bomb and gouge philosophy and that's that's it that's why like like people always used to give me a hard time for going and playing Torrey Pines because I don't hit it anywhere. In my last two years, I've finished 15th there. I mean, one year I lost by three shots. And it's because it's a long, it's super long, but you have to hit it straight around that joint. At least you did in the past. Now they don't grow the rough up like they used to. I mean, it used to be pitch out rough. And I don't care if the golf course is 7,800 yards or 6,500 yards. If they have pitch out rough, I can compete there. Right. Because I'm going to miss, I might hit every fairway, I might miss one or two a day. If I drive it bad, I'm going to struggle. And that's how it should be. But the fact that, accuracy and this is where i'm a big fan of what brandel sham believes says. i mean accuracy plays no part in this game anymore i i tend to agree and then when you see them at a difficult golf course where the wind's up and it's colder and the ball doesn't uh fly in the same way they're used to seeing it fly when they get their track mans out that's when you see people just oh my gosh i got beaten up and it's just such a difficult course and oh this is just terrible and and it's kind of like okay aren't you like no offense, but aren't you guys professionals, the best in the world? And shouldn't you know how to play in adverse conditions? Yeah, for sure. And here's the deal. And this is where I defend, you know, agronomists and PJ tour events. Look, the PJ tour event, just give Bay Hill an example is there one week a year. Okay. Well that, that membership, that golf course doesn't revolve around the PJ tours one week. Right. So I get it. Like I'm sure the week leading into Bay Hill, the members were throwing a damn fit. Like I can't even find my ball. I can't play out of this. So I get it. Like they don't, they're not building the golf course or designing the golf course for the PGA tour. We are 0.1111% of what gets played there. I mean, it's, it's an everyday golf course for members that aren't very good at the game. And so they got to be able to get them around there. So it's kind of hard to have four inch rough for a PGA tour event, unless you start, you know, the weeks and weeks and weeks before, sure. which then, then pisses off the people that pay for your golf course. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I get both sides. How, um, let me ask you a question. You are, um, you know, retired PG tour pro. Um, you know, as you said, it is a job. You want the fans to, to obviously, you know, they could boo you, but, but let's not get personal. Let's not get over the line, but let me ask you, you're going to uncover some things for viewers, uh, this year on CBS. What are some ways for the average fan to whether or not they're watching a guy on TV or following along on shot link or looking at their stats What's a way to kind of determine if there's a guy that's basically playing for a paycheck or a guy that's actually really trying to win and establish a legacy? You know, that's a difficult question. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind was back in Ricky Fowler's rookie year here at Waste Management when he laid up from like 230 on 15 on Sunday when he was, I think he was two shots back. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting because, I mean, there's when you're a rookie on the PGA Tour, listen, our first goal is to keep, keep that PGA Tour card. Right. And you know – at any given moment, a bad swing on Sunday can cost you. Now it's FedEx Cup points can cost you, you know, fifty FedEx Cup points, hundred FedEx Cup points, and that's that's tough. Um, you know, you you watch like like Bryson DeChambeau on eighteen at Bay Hill last week. Like he was playing to win the golf tournament. Yeah. Like I think there could have been a plenty of guys that would have pitched that ball straight out sideways, hit it on the green, hope to make par, make bogey. Let's get out of here. I mean, he took it on, and he was willing. I mean, Tommy Fleet would hit a bad shot at Honda, but he still was was trying to win the golf tournament. Right. He easily could have blown that in the left grandstand and had a you know all that green to work with to get it up and down. Look, he had a bad shot. Bad shots happen, but at least I I I respect him. Like he's like, okay, I'm gonna aim this 20 feet left of the hole, give myself a putt at eagle because I want to win the golf tournament. It wasn't. I mean, 
you see guys bail out all the time, and that's that's pressure, and that gets yeah, to everybody. I, there's I, a guy that uh, who was who was it that bailed out and hit it left into the stands? Was it um, uh, Mackenzie Hughes? I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, and that's a guy who has been struggling all year long. Was, I mean, probably like 170th on the FedEx going into that week, and he's like, okay, I know if I finish top three or four here, I mean, that goes a long ways to me. That probably keeps my card because right. he's on the last year. That he's on the last year of his winning exemption from Sea Island. So he blows it left. He makes par. He ends up finishing second and locks up his PGA Tour card, which is goal number one. But looking back, he's probably like, man, I wish I would have sacked up and hit that because I could have won this golf tournament. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> so it's, uh, you know, it's tough. I mean, pressure is such a such a crazy thing, and it's it's so fun to watch. It's Bay Hill is a fascinating tournament to me. Like that last hole, no lead is safe. Right. I mean, Terrell Hatton hit the middle of the fairway. And Mark Leishman hit it 70 feet, but here's the deal. Mark Leishman's still on the green in two. You you soup that ball, make double, Mark two punch for parts, game over, he wins. Like, or Tyro or Turo Hatton had to suck up and hit a great iron shot, which he did. Yep. And uh, it's cool. I mean, I laugh all the time when I'm sitting in the grill at Westbrook or whatever, and I see these guys, oh, how's he hit that shot? How's he missed that three-footer? I'm like, well, how'd he miss that three-footer? Well, you've never actually freaking putted one. You pick them all up. Yeah. So that's, that's, how you, that's how you miss them. You go out there and putt all those and see what happens. I guarantee you miss a few. Yeah, man, pressure is a cool thing. That's why it's so awesome to see these guys thrive under it. How do uh, how do PGA Tour pros actually get motivated when they're playing, when they make the they make the cut by a shot or two? And you know you're not going to win. You're like, you know, nine back or whatever, and, and you're just, you know, it, well, I'm saying you're not going to win, but you know it's it's unlikely. I know there are times when people come from the cut line and they contend, but, you know, let's say it's Sunday and you're seven back and you're teeing off early in the morning. I guess it depends on who you're playing with, but how do you stay focused? Do you have any interesting ways of staying focused out there? I mean, there's so much money to be made out there. I mean, and I'm not saying money means everything, but right. even FedEx Cup points, like, I remember at Houston a few years ago, I made like a six. This is when we still had the MDF. And I made a six-footer on the last hole just to make the second cut. And I played by myself on Sunday. I'm in 71st place. I'm solo. I played it in two hours. I shot six, I shot 67. The wind comes up. I finished 25th. And I made $65,000 and 40 FedEx Cup points, where if I miss that putt, I'm home. And I make two FedEx Cup points and 10 grand. Like, there's so much to play for. Yeah. So you never know. I mean, that's why I hated the MDF so much because you can go out there. I mean, anyone is so capable of going out and shooting seven or eight under and going from 70th to 20th. And that's a huge difference in money and points. So there's plenty to be motivated for. Well, you finished in two hours due to your fitness level. Wouldn't you say? <laughs> exactly. Well, I, hey, listen, I walk slow, but I play fast. Okay. All right. All right. I, I should probably let you plug your show again. Now that I did that, I just made, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so you're, I, I, so you, what you're going to the CBS, you want to get some different things from these guys. You've had numerous post round wrap ups where they're asking you, so what was working for you out there today? And what are you going to do tomorrow to put yourself in the best chance? All that crap. How are you going to be different than that crap? And why do they keep doing that? Cause there's nothing that the guy's going to say that's really interesting. I mean, I know they have to do it, I guess, but I mean, how do you make that part of the broadcast or that part more interesting? Interviews are tough because people are so scared of saying the wrong thing. Um, cause they're trying to protect their brand. Like, Everyone was so excited about this match with Phil and Tiger because they're going to be mic'd up. Listen, neither of these guys, they have so, so much on the line. They're not going to say anything yeah. at all. And I said that from the start. I said, these guys aren't going to say anything. There's going to be no trash talking. 
um, which is unfortunate in the world we live in today that they these guys can't go out and poke fun at each other without people freaking out. Oh, so so actually, um, all right. Before you go, hit explain this to me. Why is that such a big deal? Like, why can't like if you're talking to a guy on on your radio show, um, what, what's the name of the radio show again? Give me the name of that thing again. Gravy in the sleeves. Okay, on SiriusXM PJ Two Radios, uh, as well as Golf Subpar. Okay, okay. Just want to make, golf. Just wanna make sure mm-hmm. you get that. Okay, so what? But why can't like if you're doing an interview, why can't a pro say, "Man, I've been on the road for three weeks. You know, I had a couple. I had a great finish a couple weeks ago. I'm basically locked up my card. You know, I went to Cabo with some buddies and we celebrated. I haven't touched a club in a couple of days. That's probably why I missed the cut. Like, can a some pro- guys? Why can't people? Some say guys that? do. Okay, some do, and that's what I thought. Matt Every's interview after Thursday at yeah. Bay Hill was incredible. He's like, "Look, I'm good at this game sometimes, and I suck sometimes." He goes, "I know I can wake up at any minute and make a double bogey." He goes, "But." You know, today I was really good. There's no telling what could happen tomorrow. And the, and Steve Sands said, mentioned something about him beating Roy McIlroy. He goes, listen, this by no means means I'm better than Roy McIlroy. I just played really good golf today. Right. And he's so honest. And I wish there was more of that. Right. And but, I, I know, think it's sad. That, I think it's sad that, like, that we're so amazed by that. Like, I, it is amazing. Yeah. But it's so sad that it, like, why does Matt Every have to be the ringleader of honesty? Yeah. I mean, and Brooks is pretty honest. I think oh, that's yeah. one. And Brooks gets hated on a lot for it. I mean, he throws it out there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if Tommy Fleetwood came off the, the golf course Sunday at Honda, he's like, look, I was nervous as shit, and I threw up on myself, and I hit a really bad shot, and I lost the golf tournament. People would be like, hell yes. Right. I love hearing that. Instead, That's you got, what it should be. Right. And instead, you got guys sitting around a table saying, why can't Tommy Fleetwood close? Why can't he win on the PGA Tour? Yeah. And all that I mean, shit. I think if I, I think if I was doing the interview and said, Tommy, be honest with me. Did the pressure get to you right there? The producer is going to be yelling in your ear saying, you can't freaking ask that. Right. Don't, and which is stupid in my mind. I think like, why not? This is what the people want to hear. Like they want to know what exactly happened. It's not like, Oh, I messed up my process and all this. Yeah. No, I'm out of the moment. No, it's like, Hey, guess what? I'm just like, you know, you Joe, Joe amateur. That's a, that's a 10, but you're really a 15. I'm just like you. Just because I'm, yeah. just because I'm trying to make, you know, I, just because it's on the biggest stage in the world, I'm just like you. Yeah, I mean, people, how'd you miss that four footer to force the playoff? Uh, well, Colt, my my hands were shaking so bad I could hardly control the putter face going back, and I absolutely whiffed it. That's that's how I missed it. Yeah. Like that's great to hear. All right, so. we're, we're I feel we can go on for hours. I want to get you to uh, to a one quick segment that we have at the end. I've kind of a well, I, I had a, one of those uh, segments at the end that you have on your show. Um, what's that show again, by the way? <laughs> a golf subpar. Oh, golf we'll subpar. That one. Your golf we sub- got a couple. I know you do. You're like a you're a mogul. But um, let me ask I you. Am. Let me ask you a whisper rock question. You know, there's a lot of clubs around the country that have, you know, PJ Tour pros as members. But I mean, that's got to be up there with with the most popular ones. Um, lots of my listeners get invited to member guests, or, or frankly, they get invited to play as a at a guest at a, at a club, you got to have a good story about a guest that was invited out to Whisper Rock for the first time, where that first time became his last time. Give me uh, the it happened give last me, week. Oh, okay, per, all right. Well, if it's that easy for you, I mean, shit, I worked yeah. really hard on this question. I mean, come on. I know. So, well, I think I, I'm quick witted. I think of things okay. pretty quickly. But last week, I'll never forget. Last week, I'm not going to throw any names out there. My buddy had a guest in town, and brings him out there, and I. I was hosting Johnny Manziel that day. Okay. So wait a minute. Okay. So hold on. You're telling me yeah. a story about some guy that went off the rails and pulled a Manziel in front of Manziel. He didn't pull a Manziel. It was just, he went to the first off whisper rocks, the place where 
There's a lot of celebrities. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a Bel Air Country Club of Arizona where there's tons of celebrities, tons of athletes hanging out. And people just, you, you know how to act out there. You don't, you're not supposed to be starstruck and all this. Well, this freaking guy was going up to every single person in the grill, oh. all the place, asking for pictures and all this. And I'm like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Like, act like you've been here before. Oh, my Finally, God. Finally, I, I text the member. I'm like, get this clown out of here. This is embarrassing. That's like crazy. Like these guys come out here to play golf and have a fuck, have a couple cocktails. They're here to take pictures. Yeah, I mean, get you know, it was yeah, it was yeah, funny. When, I was when, like, no, oh, this guy will never be back. Yeah, yeah. When people come up to me, I'm like, dude, there's a time and a place. Okay, I know it's a big exactly. Pop. I know there's seven people listening to this right now, but it's just gonna be, be you know, do the right thing. All right, so you have a segment at the end of your show. It's called Subpar. It's a podcast that you do with Drew Stoltz on golf.com called The Emergency Nine. But way back when I started my podcast, The Back of the Range, we had a segment at the end called The Quick Bucket. So okay. kind of like sim- similar to what you have. So let's um, let's see if I can get you on some of these, and then we'll get you out of here because I, I know you got stuff to do. So um, more significant win, Jack in 86 or Tiger winning the Masters last year? Tiger winning the Masters. Tiger, okay. Yeah. Um, more impressive, Tiger's six consecutive U.S. Junior and U.S. Amateur wins or Jordan Spieth winning the Masters in the U.S. Open back-to-back in 2015? I have to go Tiger again. Six in a row is – I know it's a different competition, but six in a row, that's just a joke. Okay. Incredible. Uh, more difficult, top 25 on the Corn Ferry Tour or top 125 on the PGA Tour? PGA Tour, once again. Okay. Uh, I just – well, here's the deal. Every year I've played on the Corn Ferry, I've graduated off of it, I think. So okay. um, it's kind of hard for me to say that. And I've definitely lost my card on the PGA Tour a few times. So I'll, I'll go with top 125. Um, you missed the cut on a Friday night on the PGA Tour. It's 2 in the morning. You've lost your credit card. You can't find a ride. You don't have your phone. But you can make one phone call of some phone you've bummed from the guy. Who are you calling to come get you? And we're at a PGA Tour stop. PGA Tour stop. So, yeah, so, someone uh, that's there. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Gary Woodland. Gary Woodland, okay. You've played 199 PGA Tour events. I am sure at some point that number will get moved to 200. Someone's going to get you a, a, a sponsor's invite. Where's the best place for you, the best chance for you to win that 200th spot? <laughs> this week at the Players' Championship, which I can't get a sponsor exemption into, but if, if it had to be one of those, I would say Harbortown. Okay. Uh, the, her- the Heritage. Okay. Best place for you to celebrate that win? Same place, or where would be the best party? Oh, Vegas. I've, uh, I've been sponsored by Aria for eight years in Las Vegas. And yeah. It's my favorite, favorite city to go to, and uh, they would definitely show me a good time. What is one of the things you get from your sponsorship with Aria that most people, I mean, I'm not asking about dollars and cents, but one of, what's one of, the, one, of the, one of the perks that you get that most people would be like, really, get the hell out of here? Uh, just the fact that I don't pay for anything. You just charge everything back to the room, and you don't check out or anything. It's just all taken care of. Jesus. Great. All right. All right. That yeah. works. Um, Nick, give me a player on the PGA tour that has exceeded your expectations for their career. Ooh. Um, man, that's a tough one. They're all so good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe not. Yeah. Just a guy that's like, wow, that that's, he's gotten a little bit more than I expected. Oh, uh, I mean, he's older than me, but Brian gay. Oh yeah. The, he's been there for 20 straight years. Um, and he doesn't hit it that far. He's just he's a bulldog and gets it done every single year. Team International versus Team Europe. Let's just say that Team USA sits this one out. And I know we could probably go back and forth on where the course is, time of year, specific rosters. But if you just had your immediate gut reaction, if you had a Team International and Team Europe, who do you think would win that? Team Europe. 
they're just too strong and they're too close. They the, the bond they have plays a big role in team team events. I think uh, they can beat the internationals. Final one. Most likely path for you to the Masters, returning to the PGA Tour and picking up a win <laughs> or getting your amateur status back and winning the U.S. Mid-Am? I'll, I'll probably shock you with this answer, but I would say getting back to the PGA Tour and getting a win just because the USGA is going to make me wait like eight years to get my AM status back. Oh, I, oh I know how old you yeah. are. I know you'd be 43 or 44. Yeah. I know. So, I mean, I just don't see that happening. <laughs> so... Have to go with I, I get a sponsor exemption, or for some reason I decide to go Monday qualify and get in the event and win. Uh, do you have any any desire to get your amateur status back for the purpose of being a Walker Cup captain? I well, here's the deal. I asked about being a Walker Cup captain with to Mike Davis um, several years ago. They were kind of joking around. Joe Scobber and Ricky Fowler's caddy, yeah, brought it up to him. He's like, "What? You think Colt will ever be a Walker Cup captain? I mean, granted, I'd, I've won. I've done." something that yeah two other guys in the history of the golf have ever done and he just kind of laughed at it and i was like that's kind of insulting that's kind of a di- that's kind of yeah there you go yeah i was kind of like i mean you could just at least entertain the thought like I, i've done some pretty cool stuff especially in usga events i mean at least um, you know, at least take me out from take, take me out and you know wind me and dime me just a little before yeah. you shit on me i mean so that was interesting but i would i would love to do that someday i think it'd be a lot of fun well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, do you, you know, I really think that you should probably consider getting into radio. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we let you go? Please tune in every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sirius XM, PJ Tour Radio, The Gravy and the Sleeves from 1 to 3 Eastern. And every Tuesday morning, golf's subpar. Anywhere you get your favorite podcast, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, we are there. Tune in. It's a fantastic time. I can't get you out of here with any better than that. So, Colt, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range and hope to do it again soon. You got it. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Special thanks to Colt Nost for joining us this week. Don't forget, he has two radio shows, Gravy and the Sleaze on Sirius XM. He has Subpar, the new podcast with Drew Stoltz. Uh, Golf.com is putting that out. So go check those out. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. So stay healthy. We'll see you next time here at The Back of the Range.